Empire. Not everyone gets to make millions playing sports. To invest in opportunities for the underprivileged, right? And so seeing that and seeing how I can make, you know, a difference and who I'm investing in, the platforms I'm investing in. That's Baron Davis, former NBA star turned sports tech entrepreneur whose latest venture is meant to help all families who grew up like him but didn't have the skill to eventually cash in on the court. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Baron Davis got turned on to investment when he was playing and he had a hit in vitamin water. The money he made ties to a world where managers and agents didn't have to help him build his wealth off his playing earnings. So he dove in with a lot of success and now part of his investment strategy is to find ways to give back to communities that need help. Our guest this week is Baron Davis, who after a long distinguished NBA career has become a serial entrepreneur and his latest investment is Unest, which is a financial technology consumer mobile app. It emerged as a solution for parents and families to learn about saving money for events like attending college. Hey, Baron, how are you? Pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Um, Clearly, you have a very deep background in a number of different sports tech spaces, which is what this show is about. So I'll get into Unest in a moment. But I want to ask you about how you got so involved in entrepreneurship. When did that start for you? Uh, For me, it started early in my career. when I had an opportunity to, you know, invest in vitamin water. Um, and I saw, you know, what, you know, being an investor, being an influencer, you know, what that, what that looked like in real time, you know, with a real company. Um, and so, you know, I think that kind of really propelled me to say, Hey, you know, if I can find more deals like this, then, you know, I can do a lot better than my agent could. <laughs> it feels like um, that you were at the forefront of this or one of the people that was getting notoriety for it. And maybe it was more commonplace when you were playing. Obviously, now there are a lot of prominent athletes that are involved in investment on any number of different vehicles. Were you kind of alone in that realm or were there more players that were kind of following your lead? I always say, you know, there are, there are players that I learned from who are investing and, you know, using their money wisely when they play that I was privy to, you know, either play with or, you know, just have conversations with. And, you know, I think that's what continued to inspire me to want to, you know, invest in companies. What excites you now? What are you looking for as an investor? I would say that, you know, one what excites me is the opportunity uh, to invest in opportunities for the underprivileged, right? And so seeing that and seeing how I can make, you know, a difference in who I'm investing in, the platforms I'm investing in, you know, uh, I think that is the most important thing for me is really trying to, you know, grow my community of, 
you know, entrepreneurs as well as kind of serve the entrepreneurs that haven't been served. So is this based on experience that you had as a child? Uh, yeah, I would say that as well as, you know, I feel like there's a certain level of responsibility now. You know what I mean? And, you know, if, if I'm in this space and, you know, there, there's a certain, you know, way I want to go about doing it to make it make sense, right? For me and the people that I want to see grow and how I create general wealth for, you know, my community and my people. Um, let's talk about you, Nest, for a moment. Um, I have young kids. I have 529 plans for them. Um, mm-hmm. Is this not something that is commonplace in all different communities? What attracted this to you? Well, I think, you know, uh, what happens in all, when you say in all communities is, yes, you do have this access, but it's usually out of bed, Right. And the and you have to have a, a, a great banking relationship, right? Um, and you know the spirit of you know banking in our community has not really been you know uh, that informational or transactional, you know, uh, as far as you know um, understanding the information around you know financial literacy. And so for me, you know, UNES was a great platform to enlighten people of the 529 plan and how you could, you know, manage your own and also learn financial responsibility at the same time, right? And, you know, just kind of growing up and when I got introduced to the platform, for me, it was like, oh, I can understand this. If I would have done this, you know, uh, my rookie year for, you know, the kids I didn't have at the time, but for my nieces and nephews, right, then it would have given me a better opportunity, right, to educate, right, and their parents and have a better, you know, strategic family plan for college for all the kids, right? And so that's where, you know, when I looked at what the singing was doing and what the team at UNES was doing, I got super excited because everyone should have a 529 account, yeah. right, that have kids. And, you know, people who are hardworking, sometimes it's $20 a month, sometimes it's $10 a month, right, that they can save and sock away. But a lot of times they need to see that, you know? Um, and I think that's that's the beauty of UNES is we live in a digital age. And so we have the opportunity to go online and see what's happening. Yeah, it's just, it's like a, a clear financial understanding. This is not taught. I don't think. I, I mean, even when I grew up in high school, when I went to high school, we didn't have financial literacy. No one, no one explained that saving ten, even $10 a month, what that looks like 30 years down the road. Right. Now we live in an age where, you know, information travels, right? And everybody has access to the right information. And, you know, I think where I am as an investor is really looking at what tools are going to serve you know, this next generation and what companies are positioned, you know, to be able to do that. Let me ask you about podcasting for a moment. We're on one right now. I know you're an investor in Blue Wire. Give me a sense of media since you're interested in it. What do you see the future of sports media? What does that look like? 
I think it's, uh, it becomes more personal. Um, I, be, I think it becomes more from an insider's perspective. Um, I think podcasting is a great format and place to go. Um, you know, I do think that, you know, digital premium is definitely going to be something that um, is going to rise in the future. You know, brands are going to want to tell their story. Everyone has a history and a story to tell now, and we're living in a collector's age. And so when I start thinking about, you know, sports and sports media, you know, it's going to be for subgenres that are going to be far more interesting than just sitting around, you know, watching professional sports, right? And then I think professional sports is going to figure out a way to really be able to stream to your phone and give you all kind of, you know, fun stuff to watch in short form, stuff to keep your attention that's, you know, right on target, right on brand. I think we're we're hitting an age too where people are going to literally start watching games differently. We haven't quite gotten yep. there yet. We're we're getting there. We're close, and, I, and there's a lot to that. Obviously, with gambling integrations and fantasy integrations and all that stuff. But I think what you're talking about in terms of the intimacy of the experience, um, it's coming, right? I mean, it's really coming. Yeah, I, I think you know, it's like, you know, we we built our our company slick on the notion that. You know, when I watch a game, I want to watch a game with somebody who knows what they're talking about, right? I want to watch a game, not in a sports bar, but, you know, at a friend's house, in a barbershop, like that type of setting where it's intimate and just so happened, you know, you'll be able to, you know, watch and get the perspective or, you know, the history from the people who are actually a part of it who made it happen. And so you know, this kind of athlete's first mentality is really um, what we do at Slick. And I think a lot of that is going to be, you know, from players that are walking out of the locker room and wanting to have a conversation with their fans to, you know, retired players wanting to share their documentary and their story and figuring out a platform and a format where that works. Yeah. Um, listen, my career was built in sports journalism. I was telling your stories, whether you liked it or not, uh, at, at big right. platforms like ESPN. That clearly is changing now, and that dynamic is changing now. Um, where do you see all of these major platforms fitting in to this new universe that you're talking about where players are taking more control? Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of the major platforms, they're, that, you know, they sit in, I always say, in a place of luxury because they get to spend, you know, the most amount of money for stories that the culture, you know, kind of deems on point, you know, or, or on trend. Um, I think that you're going to see, you know, uh, a lot more uh, acquisitions of kind of like these smaller publishing companies because the ESPNs and people like that they're going to have to broaden their audience, right? So that's kind of like what we thought. And, you know, I, I also feel like, you know, a lot of these smaller production companies and people like that, even athletes, you're going to see them producing more and really investing in, you know, their own brand outside of just, you know, the brand that they, the team that they play for. Um, since you are so kind of heavily in all of this, 
Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on esports. Are you invested anywhere there? And and are you do you have any interest in trying to find a role in the esports landscape? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we we have been. Uh, we're going to make some announcements uh, in Q1 around esports for what we're doing with Flick. Um, but just kind of looking at you know esports as this you know kind of this huge industry. Right. And really like what we like to do is to sit down and figure out how does how can we play a part and service the culture. And so, you know, just really looking at, you know, is it a platform? Is it a team? Right. Um, But right now we're more so just focused on, you know, building the platform for esports and and esports fans. Right. So similar to athletes, you know, these people, you know, the people who play games are personalities as well. And so we want to do stuff to bring things like that to life. Um, I'm perpetually surprised by the size of audience and maybe I shouldn't be because I've been playing video games since I was a kid. But I wonder if you are because you played in Madison Square Garden and places like that where 18,000 people showed up to watch you play basketball and they can fill an arena for League of Legends now. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah, you know, I kind of liken it to kind of like that Super Bowl feel, right? Where um, it's an event, right? It's an event for, uh, you know, the super fans of a specific space. And um, people don't want to miss out, right? No, they don't. People just don't want to miss out on on a good esports event. And so they're not things that that you see, you know, every week or every other day. It's not that sport. It's more of their things. And that's why I really like it. All right, I'll, um, I'll let you go with this. And um, it's one sports question. And I'm just curious how you feel about how the leagues in general handled the strangest year ever, 2020. Incredible, right? You look at, you know, when we were all sitting in the house and, Nobody could move. There's nothing for us to do. You know, sports that you know kind of breathe the life back in, you know, into the house, right? So, um, and the NBA was first to shut down. They were, you know, first to start, um, and you know, the bubble turned out to be, uh, to me, you know, something that was really thought provoking and, and, and well executed. And so when you think about, for me, when I think about the NBA, I just really think about its leadership and the fact that, you know, the league and the union is aligned and they have both great leaders. And the players are, you know, they took a chance and, and, you know, they were well taken care of. And, you know, you don't see the type of COVID results with the NBA uh, actually none uh, that you see with the other major sports. Baron Davis, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure having you. Thank you. On the next Future Sport Podcast, the speed of content creation meets tools to turn those into quality posts. For turning stuff around that's time sensitive and that's real time, which is where kind of social and really, you know, mobile phones with good cameras have taken the content space. Brands didn't have the tool to be able to turn that stuff around and still meet their brand guidelines. So that's Eric Stark, the COO of Slate, which is helping teams create content faster, more efficiently and with modern quality. 
that will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. The Future Sport Podcast is brought to you by 3Advance, developers of sports tech apps that are AI-powered and UX-focused. So if you're looking to create some apps for your startup or your sports biz calls for some artificial or business intelligence, you should check out 3Advance. They're incredible. Go to 3Advance.com. That's the number 3Advance.com.